0: passage uh, for today is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 24, um, as Ricardo just read for us, and um, when you think about the, the, the body and its relationship to the eyes, sometimes we don't see how it correlates and how they work together. But one way to uh, see that in biology is to think about the fight or flight uh, reaction to our eyes when we perceive a threat. And the way that happens is when our eyes see that there's a threat coming our way, uh, either a a person, an animal, a vehicle is coming our way, uh, what happens in the mind is this thing called the fight or flight Response, which fills our body with uh, 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 endorphins and other hormones that cause us to be able to run really fast or have this superpower strength to hit somebody really hard or um, climb a tree in a way we never thought we could climb because we have uh, this, this, this surge of, of hormones to enable us to be able to fight This threat that is approaching us or flee, flight, run as fast and as far as possible. And the only thing needed to trigger this response is your sight to see the threat. And your body reacts to that threat without your uh, input. It's an involuntary response to the perceived threat. The reason I say that is because in this text, it talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. If your eye, verse 22, sorry, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, some of your translations in verse 22 will not say uh, if your eye is healthy, but if your eye is single. Um, the word really means single, whole, uh, uh, good, fulfilling. It's office, sound, single, simple. So one, united. So your eyes see something, your body responds. It's it's united. There's no confliction between what your eye sees and how your body's responding. There's no issues there. Does that make sense? Okay? Um, there's no issues there. It's whole. It's single. It's one. It's healthy. Um, what your what your eyes see and how your body responds are united. Okay? They're not divided. However, in contrast to that, it would be if your whole body uh, would be full of light, that would be healthy. But if your whole body is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. So that means, by contrast, there's a disconnect between what your eye sees and how your body reacts. So if, in the example presented before, if your eye perceives a threat, but your fight-or-flight response is dysfunctional and it's not working properly, you won't have that surge of, 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 of dopamine, endorphins, and other hormones for you to be able to fight or flight and you might not even perceive it to be a threat and therefore putting yourself in harm's way. There may be a fire, but your eyes see the fire, but you're like, no, nah, I'm going to go back to sleep because your body's tired. Instead of the fight or flight mentality kicking in and you didn't even realize you were up and out of there before you even can think about it. Right. Because there was no issues between what your eyes saw and your body saw. However, in contrast, as I mentioned, it would be that there's a, there's a confliction between what your eyes perceive and how your body responds. Now, anybody here have tinted windows on their car? Okay, so it affects the way you see the outside world through the tints, right? Now imagine if your tinted windows were red, or green, or yellow, or blue. Would it change the way you see as you drive? Okay, those of us who don't drive, maybe you're too young to drive. People have glasses. Okay, imagine you have sunglasses. If you go outside and you put on your sunglasses, does it affect the way you see the world? Yes. Now imagine if your sunglasses were a shade of red, blue, green, purple, different colors. It would change your perception of the world, right? Okay, so this text is talking about the eye being a lamp to the body. The eyes are the lamp to the body. And then there's, so if the eye can perceive light, and through the eye you're able to see everything. Through the eye you're able, through the eye, the mind responds. Through the eye, uh, the the mind sees everything and then the mind responds based on the eye. And then the mind tells the body what to do. So if your perception is not correct, then your body is not going to respond correctly. Does that make sense? Okay, why are we saying all this? Before we even go on, there's a text when Jesus was talking to uh, the woman at the well, and um, Jesus tells her that God is spirit. God is worshiped in spirit and in truth, and he's looking for true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Again, there's two here, spirit and spirit. That's like when we come to church, we lift our hands, we worship God, and you get that fuzzy feeling, and you feel like, you know, there's just euphoria, and spirit is good, and everything is good, and you're smiling on the inside, but the truth part is not walking in the spirit. The truth part is how you live your life in obedience to God. So it's one thing to come and lift your hands up to God and sing songs to God and do all of that. And that's worshiping him in spirit. Good. But God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So your worship to God in spirit must match your worship to God in truth, which means in the way you walk in the spirit. Another way to put it, the way James puts it is faith, that's this thing here, without works is what? Dead. God doesn't want your worship if it's just spirit. He doesn't want your worship if it's just truth. He wants your worship to be both spirit and truth together. Just like a healthy person whose eye is is right, well, the eye sees, the body responds together in wholeness. Not separate. My worship is to God, but then when I walk outside, my devotion is to my stomach and my desires as opposed to the way God would have me walk. I hope this is starting to resonate a little bit. Um, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, that's the concept of being single-minded, where your mind and your body are one, as opposed to being double-minded where you feel one way, but there's a confliction here. Part of you wants to worship God and, and, and all that good stuff, but then there's a part of you that just prefers to just be comfortable in your sin. James 1:8 says he is double-minded, he is a double-minded man. Uh, cannot understand all his ways. Um, ooh, there you go. Okay, so it talks about being in light as opposed to being in darkness. So the person who has a single mind, being that they are whole, there's a there's a there's a unity between their perception and their lifestyle. There's a unity, it's, it's one, it's, this person is authentic, real, as we say, right? This person's real. What they say is what they do. They tell it like it is. Their walk matches their talk. This is a real person. Even we honor those type of people. But the type of people who say one thing but act a different way, we don't really like them. We call them what? Hypocrites, right? We call them actors, right? So First John 2.11 says, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Isaiah 6.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So when I was researching this, I couldn't help but think of Um, This phenomenon that we have now where we have these stories, these movies, these shows that cause us to fall in love with the village, right? They're designed for us to look at the werewolves in a different way. Don't be afraid of them. Come out at night and they're going to eat you and all that extra stuff. No, werewolves can fall in love too, right? So, what's that that movie? Um, Spot, what? Twilight, right. Vampires, blood-sucking vampires who live forever and run the streets at night, terrorizing humans, killing them, sucking their blood. Oh, no, vampires have hearts, too. They can love, too. They have love triangles. And there's this push to make us look at all things bad as good. And all things good, like the Bible and everything that the Bible talks about, is all bad. What do you mean be a virgin till you're married? That's horrible. Go explore, that's good. All things that are good, they despise. All things that are bad, they wanna make it seem as though it is good. And when we follow that logic, when we follow them in their theology and their ideology, we end up being that double-minded man because there's a part of us who understands that God is good and that we should walk in obedience to his word and to his will, but then there's that part in the world that's trying to convince us that what we think is good is not really that good and what's bad is not really that bad. We have this confliction. Unless we reject their ideologies, unless we reject their their ideas that some things can be good and that are bad and some things that are bad, can be good. And it's funny because a, a lot of times what happens with us Christians, we, we, we tend to see those people and we say that's them and not us. And they're the ones who uh, replace darkness for light and light for darkness, and we ourselves, we're children of light. We don't do that. That's true when we're walking in line with God, but however, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 that uh, we once were. Walking in darkness. We once were children of wrath, but because of God, he has saved us, he has redeemed us, and he has turned us into children of light. And therefore, we must walk as children of light because we are now children of light. We once were darkness, but now we are light. So if we keep this in our minds when we speak to the world, when we interact with the world, we're not going to hold our noses high at them. We're not going to look at them and say, oh, your sin is so disgusting. Because we remember that we too were once darkness. I once walked in sin probably worse than yours. The only thing that separates me from you is the blood of Jesus. So let me offer this blood of Jesus to you so that you too can walk in the newness of life. You too can walk in light and no longer walk in darkness. It's not because I'm better than you, I made better choices than you. Because I don't. I fall into sin. But I have an advocate. God, I have a lawyer. The money can't buy. So when I get in trouble, all I got to do is call him and he's going to bail me out. Moving on to verse 24. Now one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote—he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or you cannot serve God and mammon, mammon, treasure, riches, or the embodiment of riches, money, wealth, present, uh, 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 earthly jewels, if you will. Things that have value here in this world. You can't serve God and that. Well, what do you mean? You can't have two masters. Okay. This is not where um, the idea of master can be used interchangeably with an, with an idea of a boss, an employer. Because you can have two, three jobs, right? <laughs> right? You can't have two nine to fives. At the same time, can you? Because this boss needs you to do this, this, that, this, that, this, that. I need you to go run, do this, do this. But wait a second, my other boss needs me to do this, this, that, this, that, this, this. I I can't. You can't have both at the same time and in the same sense. You can have a night job and you can have a day job, but you can't have two fully functioning, full-time day jobs at the same time. One is in Boston, one is in Brockton. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. You will either love one and hate the other or despise one and love the other, right? That's what the text is saying. Now, to me, one of the best illustrations of this in the text when we do a character study is probably Judas. Because Judas was a rare disciple. He was one of the 12. So I want you to picture this. Jesus had a number of people following him, hundreds perhaps, in his early ministry. He had a number of people following him. He wakes up one day, not wakes up, sorry, he spent the whole night praying to God before he made his decision about who he would choose as his 12 apostles. He stayed up the entire night. No sleep came to his eyes. He was out there alone, praying to the Father all the way till the sun came up and the disciples came to him. And now he was ready to make his choice. And he chose the 12 out of the hundreds. And one of the 12 was Judas. Did Jesus not know that Judas would betray him? And that's why he chose him. Or did Jesus know that Judas would betray him and that's why he chose him? And it's interesting when we think about Judas because, let me just read this for you. John chapter six, verse 66 through 71. One of my favorite passages. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve. Do you want to go away as well? This is after Jesus told the crowd that they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood or else they'll have no part in him. And they couldn't understand that message and they were offended by that message and many of them walked away from Jesus and this is Jesus' response. So in verse 68, Simon Peter, oh sorry, verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And it's interesting. When we look at these mega churches, churches in general, it's all about the numbers, how many people we can get, how many people we can retain, how many people when we got to change our approach so that we can get more people to come to church, so we can get more people to stay at church, yet Jesus intentionally gave the people who were following him 5,000 people he just fed yesterday. All of them are coming back tomorrow following Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? Y'all didn't follow me because you wanted to hear my words. Y'all didn't follow me because you believed I was the Messiah. Y'all followed me because you wanted to eat. Y'all are hungry again. Last night you had a beautiful meal provided by me. This morning you wanted breakfast. So let me give you some real, true food. Food for the Spirit. And he says that if you do not drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you have no part in me. And they were offended. They could not understand it because they were carnal. And these words are spirit and only spirit can understand it. That's why he says that I want worshipers who worship me in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says to the 12, as these thousands of people who are just following Jesus yesterday, all start walking away, probably murmuring about how horrible that message was of Jesus as they walk away talking, speaking negatively about Jesus. And the 12 who are standing there probably don't know what to do because it's a hard lesson for them to accept as well. And Jesus looks at them, and instead of Jesus comforting them and saying, no, don't worry, you guys are special, he looks at them and says, aren't you going to go too? And then here's how Peter responds in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus was fully aware that Judas was a betrayer. He was fully aware that Judas was going to betray him. He didn't make a mistake in choosing Judas as one of the 12. It was all part of the plan. Okay? Now, if we, if we look at a couple of things in, in Judas's life, like before he betrayed Jesus, right, Judas was the, 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 the financier of the ministry. Okay? You have... Jesus, he's the head pastor, he's the, he's, the, he's the leader, he's running the show. He has his 12 disciples, which we would probably call deacons today, right? He has his, his crew with him. One of them, who's the treasurer, that's the finance guy. I'm not saying finance people here are Judas, just saying. Judas was a finance guy, okay? So he held the purse and he dealt with all the funds that pertain to the ministry of Jesus and the twelve. And the Bible tells us that he freely stole from that purse he stole from it because he was a thief here we see a character trait of Judas that we do not want to emulate and if we see it in our leaders we might want to stay away from those leaders is a man who although he's in ministry although he was called by Jesus Although when Jesus sent out his disciples and gave them power and authority to go and raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, Judas was out there too. Remember that. Judas was was casting out demons, the power of the gospel. Judas was healing sick through the power of the gospel. Judas was out there preaching the gospel. This is ministry. He was one of the 12. Yet he was stealing from the purse of that ministry. So anywhere you see a leader, a spiritual leader, stealing from that ministry financially, that's the spirit of Judas. That's the spirit of Judas. Whenever you see a leader, a spiritual leader, who's overwhelmingly concerned about the money that's in your pocket and what you do with it, I present to you that that may be the spirit of Judas in that leader. Doesn't mean he's not speaking the gospel. Doesn't mean he hadn't been called by God. Doesn't mean that his ministry isn't effective to actually regenerate. But he himself is walking around with that same spirit of Judas. Not only that, we see with Judas. um, Let's see. So the day that Jesus was getting ready to um, go into the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew that it was the day that he was going to die, Jesus sat down and had his last supper with his disciples. He knew this was his last meal, like a man on death row, knowing that this is going to be his last meal. He sat down with his 12 disciples, and what did he do? First thing he did was he washed all their feet, which was a job For the lowliest of slaves, not the house slave. She's too pretty for washing people's feet. We need to go out in the field and find one of them dirty slaves. Come in here and wash all of our feet. Yet Jesus decided, since this is going to be my last meal with you 12, I want to serve you all as the lowliest of slaves and wash all your feet. Guess whose feet was there to be washed? Judas. Judas' feet were washed by Jesus that same night. And then even as he was reclining, matter of fact, let me just read for you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here you see another character trait of Judas, which is something to look out for. Again, not only in leaders, but in ourselves. Um, Judas is unable to even see authentic worship. We see that Mary's pouring out this oil on Jesus' feet, this perfume. It's expensive. It costs about a year's wage. I don't know how much you make in a year, but imagine what you make in a year put into a bottle of perfume. That's how expensive this perfume was. And she's pouring it all out on Jesus' feet, wiping it, anointing him. Jesus says she did this for his burial. Preparing him for his burial so she he rebuked Judas and said you're not gonna take this away from her in fact everywhere in the world that the gospel is proclaimed this is gonna be remembered what she did for me here so you're not gonna stop her from doing this even though I know you're not really concerned about the money you made it seem as though hey I care about the poor I'm a minister of the gospel and there are poor people out here in the streets of Boston Randolph or Brockton, wherever you're at. Poor people out here, so let's take that expensive perfume, or or forget the perfume, let's just talk about, let's take those, that expensive uh, act of worship, right, That, 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 that costs so much. Instead of wasting it on Jesus, why don't we sell it instead, make a profit, so that way we can give to the poor. And the Bible is very clear that this was deceptive. It's not that he cared about the poor people, really. It's because he wanted some more money. Finances were low. Nobody was giving that week or well, that month. In fact, right after Jesus rebukes him is when Judas goes to the priests and says to them, and he initiates. They didn't come to him. He goes to the priests and says to the priests, Hey, how much will you give me if I give him to you? Again, money. Money, money, money. How much will you give me? And they agreed to give him 30 pieces of silver, which is basically $600. And he accepts. He wanted the money from that perfume, didn't get it. Dad, Jesus got in the way of that. Um, I'm going to find another way to get the money. And I'm going to betray you, Jesus. And he did. Now it's interesting to note that Judas was considered a zealot. Zealots were a, a people group who were revolutionaries at the time in, in antiquity. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were Essenes, there were scribes, and there were zealots. And zealots were the revolutionaries, they were the ones who wanted to fight against the oppressive power of the Romans. They were the ones who literally were assassins. They would kill Roman guards, Roman officials. They would assassinate. They led revolts, a number of them. They led the revolt that destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, in fact. And these were the zealots, and Judas was among them. There was another uh, disciple who was a zealot as well, but Judas was among them. Now, how can we uh, contextualize that? Who are the oppressed today? Who are the people oppressed in our land? the revolutionaries, we have the Black Lives Matter movements, we have the women's rights movements, we have all these revolutionaries today who want to fight the power, fight the oppressed, right? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if that becomes more important than the gospel, there's a problem with that. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Judas decided to betray Jesus, But having this been his background, he's a zealot. He's following this Messiah because he wants the freedom of Israel, his people, who are being oppressed by the Romans. He believes Jesus is the key to deliver his people from the oppression of the Romans, not from his oppression of his own sin, not from the dominance of the sinful life that he's living. No, he wants freedom from the oppressors the Romans and I think by this time after three years of following Jesus seeing that he has the power to raise the dead because he's witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead seeing that he has the power to do all these miraculous things he's probably following Jesus thinking this man has everything we need to set us free from these Romans and when it becomes clear that that's not Jesus's agenda but that's his agenda And he was a thief he doesn't want any parts to do with Jesus anymore this guy's too spiritual for me we're still oppressed and so I want to I want to present that to you because the majority of us in this room are black people Haitians and we have been oppressed for many many years hundreds even and what has happened for a lot of people is we've turned around and hated the white man because of the history of oppression that we've endured. As opposed to loving our enemy as Jesus teaches. And a lot of people are walking away from the faith because of that. Because of these massive police shootings and, uh, and, and, and the fact that it's becoming more and more common. More and more on display. More and more people are walking away from the faith. Believing that our faith has something to do with the white man. And I'm only saying that to challenge you to not walk around in the same spirit of Judas that allowed his own agenda of freedom from the oppressed, from the oppressors, to to cause there to be a rift or a dysfunctional uh, connection between his mind, his worship, and his actual walk. Okay? He wasn't able to worship God in spirit and in truth because at the end of the day, he wanted more. What he wanted more was his own agenda. He wanted freedom from the oppressed. He wanted Israel to just be people that look like him. He didn't want any Romans in the vicinity. Not to mention, he was a thief. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to have nothing more than money. So, finally we see the end of Judas when he finally does uh, betray Jesus. And um, he gets paid his 30 pieces of silver, his $600, and he walks over uh, with the 600 soldiers or so, the cohort of soldiers, to go and arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he approaches Jesus and kisses Jesus. He doesn't just say, there he is, and point out Jesus, but he approaches Jesus and kisses Jesus. And now, you know, even in our housing culture, you, you salute people, right? right especially your old your elders and people who are, who are higher ranked than you You're out of respect when you meet you greet them you greet them with a kiss right it's even in our culture Christian culture Haitian culture um now that indicated that there's a level of intimacy between Judas and Jesus uh However, we never see when Judas talks to Jesus that he ever addresses Jesus as Lord or Savior or God or Messiah or Chosen or Christ. He always refers to him as rabbi, which just means teacher, which is the same term that the Pharisees referred to Jesus as, teacher, indicating that he didn't have a special bond with Jesus as he's portraying here for his 600 soldiers who he's coming to betray Jesus with. He's like, hey, I got the inside scoop on this guy. Me and him go way back. Let me show you how close we are. That's why Jesus was almost surprised. He said, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? As though we were cool like that? And Jesus still called him friend, indicating that Jesus was still kind to him, still good to him. Not only did he wash his feet that same night, not only did he uh, 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 share his meal, dipped the bread for Judas and gave it to Judas, and then when Judas is betraying him, he calls him friend, but Judas continues with his own agenda and not Jesus's agenda. This is not to bash Judas, but for us to recognize in ourselves when we have our own agenda, and we look at God's agenda, And if we choose our own agenda, we're walking in the spirit of Jesus, not in the spirit of obedience. And sometimes we can allow things to get in the way of our worship because we're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. Here Judas is on display, looking like he's a true apostle, disciple, and lover of Jesus. It looks like it to everyone outside, but Jesus knows, Jesus knows. So you who come to church and you speak Christianese and you know all the Christian songs and you know how to dress so nobody gets on your nerves. You know how to wear your hair, your tie and everything. And you know how to look Christian. You know how to sing Christian. But where's your heart? Are you living for the Lord? Are you walking in obedience to God when God says that sex is a gift Given to a married couple and you're not married. the world tells you you need to practice for when you get married. But God says you need to hold off till when you get married, two agendas. Which one are you following? Your own agenda or God's? Or to married people? God says we must be faithful to our spouses and not defile our marriage bed. But the world says you gotta be happy. She's not satisfying you, he's not satisfying you. You gotta go out there and get satisfied. Be happy. That's what the world says, that's the world's agenda. God says be faithful to your spouse. Even in the worst of times, husbands die, lay down your life for your wife. Wives submit to your own husbands. That's God's demand for those who are married. Are you following his agenda or your very own? My point is, are we doing God's will or our very own will? Are we worshiping God only in spirit when we come and gather in the church? Or are we worshiping him also in truth when we're outside by ourselves and nobody else can see? And we're walking in obedience to the Lord's will. That's the challenge today. Not only to recognize and be careful and practice the spirit of, 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 uh, of being a Berean and being able to decipher between spirits and seeing whether or not the spirit is good in our leaders and our spiritual leaders and those who are leading us, but also we have to look to ourselves and see how we're walking. Are we walking with the Lord? Do you ever wonder why it's so hard to worship as we understand worship? When you come to church, you got the worship team sitting here begging you to worship God, pleading with you to lift your hands. Now, if you were actually living for the Lord, nobody would have to tell you to lift your hands up. You just do it. It's a byproduct. Your Spirit and your walk are one, just like your eyes and your body are one. You're not a double minded man, you are single, whole minded. You understand that there's nothing more important in this world than God. So, in every not only in every single decision that you make, you consult God, you pray to God. It doesn't need to be a long prayer with your knees on the floor and your eyes closed. I could be driving to work and praying to God. I could be getting ready to sleep and praying to God. I could be in the middle of a conversation and praying to God. That's why he says, pray never ceasing. There's no end to it. I'm walking in line and walking in step with the Lord. My worship is full. It's in spirit and in truth. It's in my body, it's in the way I live my life, as well as the words that I speak. It's in my works, as well as my faith, combined together to honor God, to glorify God. So I presented all this to you, to say, be careful, because Judas looked just like all the rest of the twelve. Judas was given the authority to do ministry just like the rest of the twelve. Judas walked closely with Jesus and had personal conversations, side conversations with Jesus just like the rest of the Twelve. But what was the difference between Judas and the Twelve? It's hard. Judas was concerned about money. You cannot serve God and wealth. So I ask you this morning, Is money more important to you? Mammon is not just money. Mammon is whatever you treasure, your treasures. Think about your treasures. What do you treasure? Is it friends? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it the nice foreign cars? Is it well-dressed? Is it popularity? What are your prized possessions? Are they in subjection to God's will or in opposition to God's will? Check for yourself if they are in opposition to God's will, do not let this moment pass you by without repenting of that sin. As we close and pray, present that to God. If there's something you're struggling with, laying it down for the Lord, present that to God. And don't wait till you leave. Let's do it right now. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Father God, we are so wicked and sinful. Lord God, we're so selfish in our own agendas, O oh Lord. Sinners, forgive us, oh okay, God, for when we allow our own desires, our own stomach to guide us away from you, instead of being obedient to your word and obedient to your call, Lord oh Remove the spirit of Judas from amongst us. Remove the spirit of Judas from within us. And may we walk in line with your word and honor you as true worshipers. Worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Loving you with our whole heart, our whole mind, all our strength. Living for you day in and day out without break. Vacation. Teach us, Lord, because we don't know how to do it. We fail so much we fall short, Lord. Show us, Lord. Bring us fellow brothers and sisters who will teach us, Lord, who will guide us, God, and who will show us how to truly worship.